Welcome to the Womology Podcast. This is a sacred space to honor your cyclical nature, reconnect with your innate body wisdom and sovereignty, and transform your health. I'm Dana Drejos, and thank you so much for being here. Welcome back to the Womology Podcast. I'm here today with Grace Harmon, and she is an embodied grief guide and grief alchemist. She guides individuals, groups, and couples to connect to their bodies to process grief. So I'm really excited today to be talking about embodying grief and everything that that means and entails. So welcome, Grace. And if there's anything else you want to add about yourself or the work that you do, um, please do. Mm. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, I think we'll probably get into to everything that needs to be said in this conversation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for the introduction. Yeah. Awesome. So where are you at in your cycle right now, Grace? And how are you feeling in that phase? And how are you supporting yourself? Mm-hmm. So I am getting very close to my bleed. I'm synced up with the full moon. So that's happening on Sunday. So I'm feeling that kind of like internal pull happening. I'm feeling that like need to rest a lot and sleep a lot. And um, I'm feeling my dreams very active right now. Um, and thankfully, I've kind of been able to switch some things around in my life recently that I'm actually able to do that. I'm not Um, I just left a job where I had to wake up super early, like a part-time job. So Mm. I don't have to do that anymore, which is really wonderful. And yeah, I'm just feeling kind of soft and, and slow today. Amazing. Well, we are synced up. I am also, I should be getting my period Saturday. So also synced up with the full moon, also feeling that cocooning and turning inwards and wanting to slow down. Um, I just started a new full-time job and that's been an interesting adjustment to all of a sudden, like, you know, have to be on and have certain responsibilities and things that I can't just easily like work around my cycle so much anymore. Um, so it'll be an interesting journey to try and like still be in integrity with where I'm at in my cycle and do the things that I need to do. Um, Yeah, such a practice. Yeah. So I would love to know, how did you get into this work of embodying grief? Mm -hmm. Well, it started when I when my mom died. Um, This was in 2018. And I And it's important to say that at the time, I was sort of just beginning a master's degree in dance, women, therapy, and counseling. So Mm -hmm. I was sort of at this, like, beginning, this opening place of, you know, my my life's work, what would become my life's work, um, my this calling that I'd had since I was in high school. Um, And I was also in this very sort of intensive program where you really have to stay embodied, right? Like, I had to be in my body to learn how to do my job. And so when my mom died and I had to, you know, I was in Chicago at the time. So I 
flew home to Philly and, and grieved her and, you know, did all the things she had converted to Judaism later in life. So we did, you know, sitting Shiva. If you, if your listeners don't know what that is, it's a um, um, Jewish morning custom where you sit, mm-hmm. you know, the, the mourners are doing whatever they do for the week and people come visit and bring food and, you know, give blessings and things like that. So that period, it was a really, I mean, obviously awful time in my, in my mind, <laughs> in my body, but, and it also um, was very much like a, a turning point in my relationship to myself, my relationship to my body, um, because there was a period where I, I really kind of, I was questioning whether I should even continue on. I was like, you know, my mom died. i don't even I can't even function you know I'm barely leaving the house how am I supposed to get on a plane and continue a master's degree you know um but it was sort of encircled by this larger grief process that was happening where my program that I was doing which is at Columbia College Chicago is um I was actually the last cohort to graduate from it so we had been told almost as soon as we started that the program would end and so I really loved the program and I really wanted to complete it there at that school. And so I was kind I kind of had this like external thing that was um, forcing, guiding, whatever kind of language you want to use, um, me to complete this, this degree, this, you know, this sort of opening process. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the thing that I want to really kind of hone in on here is that the process of coming back to Chicago and like sort of continuing on in my life, which was crazy. I mean, I was like a full-time student. I was working a part-time job at a preschool at the time. So like <laughs> taking care of one, two and three-year-olds, um, you know, I was... I was I was also starting a brand new relationship. I was falling in love at this at this time mm-hmm. with the man who's now my husband. Um, I was, you know, getting to know a new city. It was like a lot happening at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found myself doing at, at the time was creating a grief practice for myself. And it was a really intuitive thing. It was like no one told me to do this. Um, I didn't read this in any books, but what I found myself doing, I don't remember when, but I think it was like a few days after I got back to Chicago, I found myself making an altar and basically creating a grief time for myself. Mm. Um, I already had, you know, a long-term meditation practice and I found myself sort of using that time in the morning as my grief time to cry, to scream, to yell, to do whatever I needed to do. And what that did is it prepared my body to leave the house. Mm. That was like the first kind of layer, right? Because if you or if anyone's listening know, like if you're freshly grieving that kind of loss, it's, um, you're so raw, you know, you're like a walking nerve. And so I really had to, um, have time to to release that feeling in order to even function throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then what that turned into over time, at first it was mostly just like sobbing in front of my altar and then, you know, (laughs) shoving something down my throat and putting on clothes and like rolling out the house. And then over time, it kind of organically developed into a real, um, a much more like intentional practice that evolved as my grief evolved. So sometimes it looked like writing or drawing or, um, you know, anything my grief needed to do at the time. And then that was happening. And then I was somehow, you know, continuing my studies and, um, and starting to work with clients like on in internships and things like that. And then I had decided to do my thesis on the experiences of other body-based practitioners, um, their experiences of grief and spirituality. So, cause what I found is that that process really, yeah, deepened and widened my relationship to spirit and my sense of being held by something bigger than myself. Um, in a really, really profound way. And so I did my thesis on that topic. And I remember somebody that I was interviewing because it was an organic inquiry. So I was using, I essentially used this process that I had kind of created for myself um, to to guide the people that I was interviewing. Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody said like, you could do this. This could be like your thing, you know? Um, but it wasn't the time and I, you know, finished school and, um, you know, got a job and started my work in the world in other ways. And then, but the seed had been sort of planted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when George Floyd was murdered in the summer of 2020, I just kind of felt the call again to, to hold grief circles and to, to be like a holder of this but I really consider a sacred process. Um, and that kind of evolved and, and, and sort of, and it's changed and moved and grown since 2020. But um, yeah, that was the root of it. So I really, for me, this work has always been um, a, a real dance between like the personal and the collective and the need to, process our own grief so that we can be better humans in the world in in multiple ways right um so i've always sort of taken a political um yeah just kind of a a more worldview framework in my in my work as well um Mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's the short version of of how i got (laughs) to where i am Thank you so much. I have so many questions. I'm like, which one first? (laughs) Do you still have a daily grieving ritual? I will. It's not daily. No, it's more, um, it's more like what that process did and continues to do is show me what grief actually looks and feels like in my body. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes grief will show up and it's, not related to my mom at all right there's multiple things that that we're all grieving at once you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what that did is it showed me oh when i feel like trembling in my chest or when or when my thoughts are racing for example that's grief like that's Mm -hmm. that's my body telling me to do my grief practice so now i sort of have a regular meditation practice again and it's 
sometimes it looks like a grief practice and sometimes it, it looks different. Um, it's much more sort of fluid now. I am getting close to the my mom's death day. This is going to be at the end of February. So I'm feeling that need, you know, to, to do my grief work again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll also say that working with grieving people is a great clue into what what uh <laughs> what grief work I'm in need of too like mm. if depending on how I respond to my clients that's always a sign of like okay maybe you need to spend some more time with with your own stuff mm. yeah that yeah. makes sense yeah speaking of worldview one of my questions actually was have you come across any grief rituals or practices in other cultures that have really, you know, spoke to you because I feel like in America grief is a topic that is avoided. Um it, talking about your Jewish tradition and like the Shiva it's called sitting yeah, Shiva. Shiva. Mm-hmm. Um like that's really special but you know that there's different um practices and different religions but I just feel like on the whole mm-hmm. in America like there's not as much of a kind of ritual or focus on grief it's kind of something that we just it's like you take one week off of work and like you're good now right like we don't have to talk about that anymore mm-hmm. um so yeah I was just wondering if you'd ever come across anything interesting uh from a different culture or religion yeah totally I mean, I'll say that like the the work that I do that I sort of came up with intuitively is is not new, right? Mm-hmm. I you know, people around the world have always moved to their grief in some capacity, always gathered in group ritual. This is not a new thing. This is an ancient, ancient practice that you can find around the world. Um, I do often talk about my work as a remembering. Right. I think that if we can tap into our grief and let it move us, it really does open up an ancestral memory, you know, whatever, whenever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, in my research and in my, you know, own lived experience, I've definitely, um, yeah, seen, seen lots of different cultural practices around grief. Um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in Lesotho, which is in uh, Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, it's kind of interesting when I think about it now, because I was not, I would not have made this connection at all at the time, because mm-hmm. I just wasn't my, my lens yet. Um, but it's uh, a country where death is really, really common, because it's the second highest, it's got the second highest rate of HIV and AIDS in the world. And so um, the, the practice of going to a funeral is really it's like okay gotta go to a funeral this weekend it's like an every every weekend thing Mm -hmm. um and the practice of singing is a really big part of of the sutu culture so um that was you know it's it's beautiful to hear people people singing people mourning through sound you know Mm -hmm. um i also have spent some time in ghana and West Africa and and funerals are, are much more of a, a celebration of life there. It's much more like there's lots of dancing, there's lots of sound, there's lots of, yeah, just 
ritual that is mm-hmm. is built into and understood by the culture and by the many different cultures, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the country. So, yeah, I will say that for myself, I've really noticed uh, grief, grief really opening up my throat chakra. Mm-hmm. Like I've found myself talking more loudly, more, more um, just kind of, uh, organically singing when I, whenever I want to, like, I think that that experience of moaning and mourning my mother really, um, connected me to that part of my body in a, in a really beautiful way. And I think that's reflected, um, in, in many different cultures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was living in Vietnam for a few years, which I was mentioning before we got out on the call and, they they have altars as well that they pray to every morning um and they have photos of their ancestors past ones and they light incense and they offer like fruit or whatever was that person's favorite thing um might be a can of beer or something depending on who it is um mm-hmm. and they they say some kind of prayer um so yeah it, it's just so cool to me how different um cultures honor grief and honor people who are past mm-hmm. so and um, it's something that like i think is one of the one of the many like uh sins of capitalism and patriarchy and colonization is that so many people have been sort of ripped from their cultural traditions and their cultural awareness and memory and understanding um just again why it feels like such a it's such a remembering when people can tap back into that that knowing um mm-hmm. really can be a very deep and profound way to connect to our ancestors to you know embodied grief work yeah mm-hmm. so you mentioned before how there are many different things besides the death of a loved one that we can grieve. Can you speak to what are some of those other things that we might be grieving? Yeah. Well, along with the death of a loved one, we also grieve parts of ourselves, you know, Um, especially if it's a parent or a sibling or a grandparent or someone really close. There is a you know, we are oriented by attachment and by relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when those people die, we have to grieve the parts of ourselves that are no longer there. Um, There's also- I've never thought of that before. (laughs) That was like, you just blew my mind. Yeah, it's it's probably the hardest part, honestly. It's not really just losing them and not having them to call and, you know, be a human with, but it's also like, I'm, I'm a different person, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's why grief is so painful because our bodies are literally restructuring Mm. and trying to figure out how to physically live without, without our people. Um, Mm. so yeah, I mean, we grieve parts of ourselves. We grieve places, we grieve animals, we grieve relationships when people, you know, haven't died. Um, anytime there's a loss of anything, there's grief there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which is like anything, <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it's, um, it's such a, 
it, it's such a narrow way to view life and that you can only grieve when there's been a death of a person, you know, because mm -hmm. often what I see is that when people are struggling to move forward in any aspect of life, like whether that is with a job or a relationship or moving place and they're struggling in that there's like anxiety or, or whatever is coming up in response that's grief mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that's usually a sign that there's something to grieve about the past mm -hmm. there's some there's some aspect that hasn't been integrated um in that aspect before yeah that makes so much sense and is helping me actually understand uh, what I was grieving in terms of having to leave Vietnam because of yeah. the pandemic and kind of having this forced displacement um, from somewhere that had really become a home and a community for me. I had, you know, my closest friends. I felt the most like myself that I had ever felt in a place before. And then coming to America, it just was like, yeah, it didn't have that support network. Mm -hmm. um, and now that you're saying, I I am like, oh yeah, the, the person that I was in relation to where I was and who I was with was part of the grieving. Because now I come back to America and people would ask like, well, what's your plan? And where are you going to go? And what do you do for work and things like that? It was so hard and like anxiety inducing for me mm -hmm. to answer those kinds of questions. Cause I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like I yeah. just feel totally lost right now. And I don't know who I am anymore because all of my identity was like wrapped up in um, being a person who lives in Vietnam and I do this and that, and I have these friends and I have this podcast that I had there and everything. And then it was just all gone in like a day. Yeah. So yeah, I talk wow. a lot about the importance of like mirroring and resonance. And so if we're not getting mirrored, if we're not having people who are showing us ourselves back, mm -hmm. then it would be really alienating and really isolating, right? That's why it's so important to find grief groups and even like what I call a grief gang, like people who can really hang with you. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, speaking as someone who's lived in another country and come back, there's, there's very little resonance from mm -hmm. the people that we, you know, love, but, have, but, but we've sort of adopted a different culture, you know, and then coming back, we don't see that anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about collective grief and you mentioned the death of George Floyd and how that kind of was a catalyst for you getting back into this work um <laughs> there's so much for the collective to be grieving right now and I guess pretty much throughout all of history but I was wondering like do you think we can use our body and energy to help someone else process or like help the collective process grief does that make sense like i'm just thinking about how if everyone is feeling this grief like 
if we work on it in our own body and mm -hmm. energy, does that help other people who like might not even be aware that we're doing that? You know what I mean? I, I definitely think so. Um, because like I said, we are oriented by relationship and by attachment, right? Mm -hmm. So there, the work that we do does have really real ripple effects, you know, mm -hmm. around with the people around us. Um, and I've heard it, I've seen it in myself. Like I've seen my own community really like kind of wake up to grief as a, as a response to me being so open. And so um, just in my process, like there's a, a deeper awareness that gets turned on. I've also heard it from my clients in a lot of different ways, but that mostly is like uh, giving other people permission mm. to grieve, right? Because mm -hmm. like you said at the beginning, this is in the U.S. and other Western cultures, this is such a grief and death averse uh, place to be in pain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, if we can find people who can hold us in it and we can process it and integrate the grief into who we are, then that gives other people permission to do the same. And it also gives other people like a pathway forward. Cause mm -hmm. I think that there's, it's so easy to get kind of lost in the sauce when um, we don't have, if A, you've never experienced any kind of loss before or B, you don't have people around you who can speak this kind of language. Um, it's really easy to, again, feel really isolated and really lost. But if you have even one person who can be like, yeah, I, I let myself grieve. I let myself cry. I have this way of processing it. Um, then it feels, it helps people feel and not just feel, but know in their bodies that they're not alone. Um, mm -hmm. and there's nothing, there's, there's no greater medicine for human beings and to know that we are not alone um, in, in whatever experience we're having. So true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you mentioned for you that embodying grief was helpful for your throat chakra and some mm -hmm. sensations that you experience as grief. Would you say there's a pattern like where there's certain places in the body for everyone that grief shows up or is it very unique to every individual? I'd say yes and no. You know, I think for um, in general, I, I've experienced and I see in my clients, the big places the grief tends to sort of coagulate are the throat, the heart, if you have a wound, the wound space. Um, and the hips, right? Mm -hmm. Also the back because and the shoulders, because if you think about the the embodied process and experience of trying to protect yourself, then mm -hmm. this is gonna just cause tension to to rise and to coagulate. And it's also important to name that the back of the heart, like the space between the shoulder blades, you know, that's this whole area is mm. um it can feel like it's on fire, you know, when you're mm -hmm. kind of freshly grieving. So those are the places that I tend to see. Um, and 
depending on who you are and where you are in your process, you might feel like grief lives everywhere, like it stretches from the tip of your toes to the top of your head. Or if you if you've spent a lot of time numbing, then you might feel like it lives nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so the process of embodying grief is really about tuning into what is true in your body right now and being with the truth that grief changes, which is mm-hmm. such a gift, right? Because again, it's so easy to get stuck in, in the the circle of it without understanding that it actually does change. It does move. Some days you might feel it in your throat. Some days you might feel nauseous. Like it might, you know, feel like hard to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, Some days you might not feel much at all. Some days it might feel more like love. It might feel more tender. You know, there's like a million ways that you can experience it. But the important thing is to trust that what you're feeling is grief and not need to um, look to other people for like, am I normal? Is this okay? You know, like, just say to anyone listening, yes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, all, it's all par for the course. It's all normal, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm wondering, do you work with both men and women? And if you see any differences that you notice in how both like process grief Mm -hmm. or feel it in their body. Yeah. I work with everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I work with women um, in a particular group container that I have called Yoni Alchemy for Grief Transformation, but I work with everybody individually. Um, And typically what I see in men that's, that's unique is because of the way that men are socialized, it tends to be a little bit harder for them to access um, their bodies at first, because bodies are where emotions live. And so it might be harder for them to even like, feel it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it might also be more difficult for them to express it. Um, like I was working with a guy last week, a regular client of mine, and it was so fascinating because I was guiding him through moving his grief. I was, you know, and, and from the outside, it looked like not much was happening at all happening at all he was sort of like rocking and you know moving his chest around a little bit but there wasn't much at all that was happening and then afterward as we processed it he was like I had this incredible image of like color shooting out of my throat and it was like I was crying but I wasn't crying like he was crying color Mm. Um, but I couldn't see it you know so there is this kind of, there can be this, especially, you know, depending on your generation, this, this man is in his 60s, so spend a lot of time, you know, um, covering Suppressing. Up yeah. So it takes, it takes, the longer you suppress it, the longer it takes to, for it to awaken. But um, for him, it was so real, like he was crying, you know? Mm. So there, there is that connection between the inner and the outer, the outer that can sometimes be a little bit, um, or a little bit um, more porous, depending on who you are and, you know, and again, your attachment, your relationships, all these things, no no matter your gender, are um, big, big things. And then I think women tend to be drawn to my work more. That's just, um, you know, what what has been the pattern so far. And I do... um, 
trying to think if there's any like real patterns that I've seen in the women versus the men. I think that for everyone, there's always like a sense of like relief that like mm -hmm. finally most people who end up working with me, they're like, I can't believe I found you. I feel like I've been waiting for you. Like where, where were you 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever? And, um, I think what I see most often is that most women, uh, release earlier like they tend to cry earlier they tend to emote earlier um because again there's been a, a pattern of like covering up or doing for others or um yeah just like because of capitalism gotta like stuff it down and if you don't have a practice of letting it out then it's just gonna get stuck you know mm -hmm. um so it's you know most things are true no matter your gender but those are just a couple of things that I've noticed. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And how do you approach working with someone who, as you mentioned, maybe they do just feel numb mm -hmm. and they can't feel any of the sensations in their body versus someone who is able to say, yeah, I feel like the fire in my chest or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, what I find is that they may say they feel numb when we talk get on a call before they agree to work with me. And then when we start working together, they're not actually numb at all. Mm. Like they, like they actually have lots of language for what's happening. They may say that they feel a sense of tightness. They may have more like visual imagery that comes through rather than like embodied sensation. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're able to name what's happening. Like heat moves, you know, they don't have to know what, what it is exactly, but they're able to name what's happening in the body. Mm -hmm. And that's the biggest thing is like, oh, there's something happening. Now I can name what's happening. Now I know that if this happens, this is my grief. And now I know how to take care of my grief when I feel it. So mm -hmm. it's, um, and it also, you know, I, I do grief work. I don't do trauma work. So there's like a, a difference in the way that I approach clients based on um, their experience of trauma because, um, and I, and I say I don't do trauma work because when I'm working with people, like in the past, when I've worked with people with, with complex trauma, um, the work is really about modulating and staying in what we call the, the window of tolerance. Mm -hmm. So um if we go too much all at once the person might get flooded and might freeze and may not actually be able to um, it might actually be harmful but my work is really about opening up the sensation and moving fully like expressing fully mm -hmm. and so if the person doesn't hasn't processed their trauma you know with somebody else before then it's going to be too intense for them like it might not actually be a good experience and we want it to be, might be painful, but it, we want it to be a good experience overall. Um, we want it to be an empowering experience. So I don't remember the original question, but <laughs> those are some how, Yeah, how you would approach uh, it differently, someone who says they're feeling numb versus someone who um, yeah. is able to identify sensations. But now yeah. I'm wondering, 
based on what you just said, like, so how do you know um, if you're ready for this processing grief work versus if you need more trauma work? Because in my mind, I would think like death is the trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in my mind, I saw it as the same thing. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. can you explain a little more? Yeah, I think the the difference is that like trauma tends to, again, it it overrides your body's capacity to respond. Yeah. Mm. Um, and a death can be awful and not be traumatic. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. And I know that because like speaking for myself, even though like I was there when, when my mom died and I saw it happen and I felt it happen, um, it didn't like, I didn't like, it didn't overwhelm my capacity to function. Mm-hmm. I was able to be with, with the grief and with the feeling without either going into like freeze mode where I'm like shutting down or being completely overwhelmed and, you know, get, getting outside my window of tolerance in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, that's why I always have a call with somebody before, before, you know, we work together because I want to really make sure that they are, ready for for this kind of work um and most people who work with me either have had therapy in the past or they're working with another therapist concurrently which i love because that means that we can just be in the sacred grief work and they have Mm -hmm. another place another person where they can process the other stuff with so Mm -hmm. um it's important to me to really like i have the capacity to do trauma work i'm very well trained but it's important to me to like stay in my lane and and stay with the grief itself because that is that's like the unwinding and the, and the focus yeah yeah mm-hmm. i'm sure it's more effective that way than trying to like do all yeah. the things <laughs> yes totally and yeah. people you know and i and that and that's been like a real growing edge for me since starting is people will often be like oh my god i like they've sometimes they might think that I'm like their regular therapist where this is just like an unloading and I'm like this is our grief time (laughs) Mm -hmm. why is it so important to grieve in community I saw that you have the yoni alchemy Mm -hmm. uh container so yeah why the decision to have a group container and what is the benefits of grieving and community? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I mean, so many things it's biological, right? So we, like I said, we are oriented by relationship or oriented by attachment and we need to be seen. We need to be witnessed and we also need to see others and witness others in order to know that we're not crazy. Um, And also in any experience of change, it's really, really easy to not uh, make the change, whatever the change is, if you don't see other people who are doing it, right? So I'll just use the Yoni Alchemy container as an example of this. So this is for women um, and non-binary folks with Yonis who are really ready to step into their like full authentic expression and not be small and not um, stifle their grief anymore. Right. So that's a very like particular subset of people. It's not going to be everybody. It's not even going to be most people who are ready to like activate their yoni in service of their grief in this way. 
And because it's a very small subset of people, it probably means that they don't have that many people around them who are mirroring that process, right? Mm -hmm. Who are like practicing boundaries and like using their voice and and listening to what their yoni has to say when they make decisions, for example. Like all of that is in this culture, uh, taboo, quote unquote, radical. And we need other people around us to hold us in that process, in that experience of change, because we also need to know that that it's safe on the other side, right? That like we've we've all built up systems of protection so that we aren't, you know, hurt anymore, right? That's what the body does. It's a very intelligent process. But over time, if that becomes your way of being, then you don't actually get to experience the the real zest of life and the and you don't actually get to be as, as present in your body as you need to be to really make decisions from a grounded place right mm-hmm. so it's about that process of mirroring and witnessing that I, that I come back to the most um and it's also like again the oldest way that we have of of healing right is gathering in a circle around the now nowadays it's mostly the virtual campfire but it's still (laughs) that sense of like being in community with others that's how our bodies actually know how to move the best how to grieve the best yeah Mm -hmm. um and it's also like based on where you are in your process right for some people individual work is going to be much more beneficial for them before doing group work um, for some people, they're like, I don't want to be like on the spotlight. I want to be in in the collective, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it really depends on who you are, what your needs are, where you are in your grief process. But it's really about that, yeah, that, that seeing and being seen element that's just mm-hmm. so fundamental to um, to growth and healing and change. Yeah, that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. and yeah, totally. It makes me think about what we were saying before, how grief can kind of, you you lose that part of yourself because of what was lost in relation to the other person. Mm-hmm. And so now it's like by entering a group of other people, you're kind of finding a new orientation. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, like you're starting to relate to the other people around you in that group. So it's like, your body like finding this new home of maybe like okay that person's gone and like that part of me is gone but now here's a new part of me that is emerging based on these new relationships yeah and like it's safe to be in my body without the one I'm grieving you know like Mm -hmm. that that kind of thing cannot be intellectually understood it has to be felt like Mm -hmm. There, you can read a million books and you'll never get that sense of like belonging and knowing that I'm held and supported and safe if you don't actually do the hard work of being with others in your grief. You know, like that's the that's the vulnerability that grief really asks of us. Um, but it's essential to healing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know for myself, just recently just going through like a stressful time not grief or anything but I have that tendency to um self-isolate and Mm -hmm. 
you know, not like when I'm stressed or like whatever things are happening in my life, I will just naturally turn inward and not talk to anyone about it. Um, And I know that comes from like experiences in childhood and not wanting to be a burden or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like this lesson in my life that I have to keep learning again and again, because I'll find myself isolating. And then I hit this rock bottom where I'm like in the depression again. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like I'm supposed to talk to other people. And then once I uh, communicate to other people how I'm feeling and I'm, you know, reflected again, uh, mirrored in a group of other people, it feels better immediately. And then I'm like, oh yeah, (laughs) why can't I just remember to do this? Yeah. Yeah. It's a rewiring. It's really, it really is like a reworking of our nervous system. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a spiral. It's not a straight line. So wherever you are (laughs) in the spiral, however many times you need to move through it is just just a human experience Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm -hmm. um and i want to ask like how would you describe kind of how our culture in america currently grieves and why it's not optimal like what happens if we don't grieve through our body as Mm -hmm. well as through our mind Mm -hmm. well i mean there's so many like structures both like physical and relational structures that are set up to make it difficult to grieve right so number one is capitalism which is Mm -hmm. the fact that we have to work to live is fuckery (laughs) (laughs) um so and the fact that like most people are not um working for themselves can't like fit their own their grief into their own schedule right they're working for other people who don't have an awareness or a sensitivity or even a real understanding of of the needs of grief right um and grief is a like kind of a cranky bitch if she doesn't get um attended to so Mm -hmm. like the way that grief tends to manifest when it's not expressed is like, again, a lot of physical manifestations, right? Like you might get tight chest, you might get a tight stomach. Like in general, there's a feeling of tightness and tension that tends to override the body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you, so again, if you're not around people who get that, then it's easy to feel really crazy. Um, so one is like capitalism, you have to work, right? <laughs> two is that lack of awareness that lack of understanding that about death and about grief right Mm -hmm. um and mostly the the lack of understanding is the fact that it's not a time-limited process right like like you mentioned earlier the most people are like okay take a week off work and then you're good no Mm -hmm. or if you're lucky take a month off and you're good but like the the thing about grief is it just keeps going right there's Mm -hmm. never especially if you're grieving like a core loss or a core person that it's just going to be there that's going to become part of who you are as a person um and so that lack of awareness of the cyclical nature of grief makes it um 
makes the grieving person have to work really hard because they have to tell people who may or may not be responsible for paying them. I'm grieving. I can't work, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. And that puts the onus on somebody whose nervous system and whose body is already exhausted to have to say what they need while they're figuring out what they need. Like Mm. we don't know until we let ourselves grieve what we actually need. And, and, and even interpersonally, like anyone who's ever grieved, they've had many people call and text be like, if you need anything, let me know. I don't know what the fuck I need. You have to tell me yeah. what you what you can do for me. Right. So there's yeah. that lack of understanding about about what it actually is to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, I often, you know, invite people, like I've had friends and other people ask me, like, how do I grieve? How do I support my friend who's grieving? And I often say, like, decide who you can be in the village, right? Maybe you're an emotional support. Maybe you're the person who brings the casserole. Maybe you're the person who does the laundry. Maybe you're the person who, like, sends a funny text message. Like, whatever your role in the village is, decide that for yourself. Because if you don't, then you're either going to feel like a really shitty friend because you're not doing anything or you're going to just, um, yeah, unintentionally ignore your grieving friend because you just don't know what to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, like, yeah, capitalism structural thing and the interpersonal stuff that's not really well attended to or, or well understood. Um, and so if we don't, so say like that, all that is still happening and you're going to uh, somebody to process your grief. So you go to a grief group or a grief therapist, but you're processing it verbally. You're not actually giving the grief the chance to move, mm. right? So verbal processing is great as a piece of the of the package. But what happens if you're only talking about your emotional experience is you're not actually giving it a chance to change. So you might say to the person, like, I feel stuck in my throat, I feel whatever, not because there's anything wrong with them, but because they don't have the training or the awareness of the body to actually give the person the tools to move it. They're just going to stay stuck in the body, right? So they may gather all kinds of tools and all kinds of tips and tricks, but without the, the actual like nervous system rewiring, without giving your body the chance to expand its capacity to feel then you're not actually going to get to move forward in a way that is integrated. Yeah. And we want to be able to move forward and be present in our life as it unfolds alongside our grief, right? We don't want our grief to be the um, kind of a block in, in our becoming. We want it to be a guide in our becoming. And so the we have to develop a relationship with how it lives and moves in the body for that to actually be possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. That makes so much sense. And I love what you said about how can we show up better for someone else who's grieving? Because, yeah, I've, I've felt before, well, I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know what's mm-hmm. the right thing to say. And sometimes it's not what you say. It's what you do. Like, just do something to take the load off of that. Totally. And like, there's people often are like, so worried about the right words. And it's like, nothing you say is going to be that bad, because the worst thing has already happened. So like, Mm. 
don't worry yeah. about what you say as like as long as you're coming from like an open-hearted you know I love you just that simple not like I want to fix you or th these are some things that have helped me or like whatever whatever as long as you just like keep it simple and like say I'm I'm here for you then that's that's really all they need you know yeah yeah um do you have to know what you're grieving in order for embodying grief to work? Because sometimes I wonder if it's like you you feel this tightness, you feel the sensations in your body, but maybe it's not clear what you're even grieving. There's mm -hmm. just like a lot going on and you're like, I don't know, I just feel off. I think if you know that you're grieving, but you don't know what you're grieving or who you're grieving, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the place to start. And also like a lot of times what I see is that like with the stuff that I put out on Instagram, sometimes people will be like, Oh my God, I didn't realize that was grief. Maybe I'm grieving yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you probably are. <laughs> so the, the thing to do is again start with the body and the body awareness yeah and every time i absolutely trust that if you start with that you will you will know what you're grieving you will get to that place if you can follow your body and follow that process mm -hmm. yeah i love that mm -hmm. um so i want to give you a chance to talk about who is your ideal person to work with you what kinds of containers do you have that you're excited about um mm -hmm. yeah share more yeah. About that. yeah so my tagline is like somatic grief work for soulful beings who are ready to move beyond suffering mm -hmm. and really that's like my my jam because there are many 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 every everybody in the world is grieving something right but yeah. there are not that many people who are, or maybe there are, but there are fewer people who are ready to really move beyond their experience of suffering. And I, by suffering, I mean the, the experience of getting caught in that loop, that grief loop, and you can't get out of it, right? Not everybody's ready to move beyond that. Um, and I'm really, I'm really calling in people who are ready to to change, like re really ready to feel different, really ready to integrate their grief so that they're not stuck anymore. Um, and I work with people um, individually. I, I have a program called Moving Into Wholeness. And it's, um, it's a really beautiful experience. It's a very co-created experience of, yeah, helping people connect with their grief and their bodies and unwinding that so that they can feel whole again, mm -hmm. you know. Um, most of us don't actually, when we connect with our higher selves, we don't actually want to like make the pain go away. We actually just want to feel whole and not broken. So that's where we go. And that's a, has a three or six month option. Um, and then my Yoni Alchemy for Grief Transformation container is so beautiful. It's a four month um group container where we meet twice a month around the full moon and the new moon and we um yeah we move very gently through the process of first embodying our grief moving grief connecting with yoni connecting with that energy and wisdom that lives there and then alchemizing the two 
and really stepping into our full body power. Um, so the Moving Into Wholeness program is open enrollment. The next Yoni Alchemy group will start in March of this year. Um, so I'm not sure when this is going to be released, but the next one after that is going to be in September. So I open it twice a year for four months. Um, and yeah, and then I also do work with um, practitioners in my Standing with Grief course. So, so that's a course for practitioners to help them get better at holding grief and expanding their capacity to work with grief. Amazing. And do you do anything in person in New Orleans or? Yeah, all that is has both in-person and, and online components. One thing that I learned nice. once I felt comfortable being in person with people is that like that is really good for my nervous system to be in person again. So yeah. I to have both components is really important to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of that sounds so beautiful. Yeah. And this whole conversation was so beautiful and nourishing. I learned a lot. So I thank you so much, Grace, for being here and sharing your wisdom and your stories. And I'm excited for people to hear. Thank you so much, Dana. I really appreciate this time. Thank you so much for listening. If you desire to continue this journey and learn more about your body, I invite you to follow our Instagram page at womb.ology. Please help get this information to more people who menstruate by sharing this podcast on your social media and tagging us. I greatly appreciate you. Have a peaceful week.